Hi, you're listening to Stefan Levera Podcast, a show about Bitcoin and Austrian economics. This show is brought to you by Swan Bitcoin, and Swan is organizing a conference. It's called Pacific Bitcoin. I'm looking forward to seeing you guys there. It's going to be in November on the 10th and 11th in LA, California. This is going to be a massive event. There will be so many well-known speakers. It'll be people like Lynn Alden, Corey Clipston, Alex Epstein, Jeff Booth, Pierre Richard, CJ Wilson, Alex Gladstein, Mark Moss, and many more people. Pacific Bitcoin is optimized for fun with sports, games, music, photo opportunities, and high fives. And this is just going to be the main event with a a range of events during the week of LA Bitcoin Week. So make sure you turn up early. Come and join us at the inaugural Pacific Bitcoin Conference in LA, November 10th and 11th. The website is pacificbitcoin.com and use the code LIVERA to get a discount on your ticket. For anyone interested in the world of Bitcoin mining, Brains.com is the place to go. They have a full-stack solution, including ASIC auto-tuning firmware. They've got software for farm management, and they are the founders and the operators of the world's first mining pool, Slush Pool, which is now going to be called Brains Pool soon. So those of you who have Bitcoin mining machines, make sure you check on the Brains.com website if your model supports Brains OS Plus. If it does, you can increase the hash rate on your Bitcoin ASIC and you can improve your efficiency by as much as 20%. And you can point your hash rate towards any pool. Or if you point your hash rate towards slush pool, going to be Brains pool soon, you get 0% pool fees. So that's a great benefit for you there. And for those of you considering entering the world of Bitcoin mining, can I point you to the Insights dashboard with the Mining Profitability Calculator? They make it really easy for you to run your own numbers on whether you can ROI based on the assumptions and estimates that you put in. So that website is brains.com. It's B-R-A-I-I-N-S.com. Are you operating a business or looking to operate some form of Bitcoin node in the cloud? Voltage can help you. Whether you are a merchant looking to take Bitcoin and Lightning payments, or whether you are a nomad who is traveling and you need a Bitcoin node, or whether you are a Bitcoin builder and you need to scale your nodes by the thousands, Voltage can help you. They are an enterprise-grade Lightning solution. You can just go to the website and extremely quickly spin up your Bitcoin node, your Lightning node, or your BTC Pay server node. BTC Pay Server is some free open source software that you can use to be your own payment processor. And Voltage are making it really easy for you to do this. And of course, you can pay with Bitcoin. And they've got a range of content over on their website, such as Nate's post about how to run a Lightning node as a merchant. So for those of you interested, don't stumble on your own infrastructure. Go and get started really quickly and easily. That website is voltage.cloud. Now for today's show, episode 400, Jonas Nick and Tim Ruffing of Blockstream. They are Bitcoin researchers, cryptographers, and contributors. They rejoined me on the show, and this time we're chatting about signature aggregation. And in this case, we're talking about half-signature aggregation. So we're going to talk about that, why it is a scaling technique that can help scale Bitcoin and enable more transactions inside a block or potentially help with L2 protocols such as Lightning. So without any further ado, on to the show. Jonas and Tim, welcome back to the show. Hello. Hey, thanks for having us. Yeah, no, great to chat with you guys again. And uh, so we're going to chat about half-signature aggregation and uh, hear a little bit from you guys about what you're working on and, uh, yeah, just get into what that means for Bitcoin. So, Jonas, I know you you probably uh, will be best to give maybe some background on some of this. I know you did a talk 
at adopting Bitcoin in uh, now that was November last year. So call it seven, eight months ago, talking about some of this maybe at a, at a high level. So do you want to just give us a bit of a, an overview here? Like what is signature aggregation? Okay, so um, signature aggregation, as the name kind of suggests, is the process of taking individual signatures, for example, Schnorr signatures, and then produce uh, a single aggregate signature. So you could imagine that Alice signs a check and Bob signs a check. And with a signature aggregation scheme, they could instead have a single signature such that both checks are valid instead of each check having their own signature. And in the realm of digital signatures, the purpose of this is that we reduce the size of the um, signature data that's being sent because now instead of sending two signatures, you're only sending this single um, aggregate signature. And depending on what kind of aggregation scheme is being used, the size of the uh, aggregate signature should be either constant small or a bit larger, but uh, at least not as large as all of the individual signatures combined. Great. And um, Tim, do you want to add anything there in terms of uh, you know your approach and work here? Yeah. So I think one point uh, that we could stress here is that, I mean, Jonas mentioned that the point of this is to reduce the size of the signature data. And yeah, that's very important in blockchain systems because space on the blockchain is so expensive. So we, we really try to Usually we try to squeeze out every single bit out of size optimizations just to reduce the amount of data that we have to store on the blockchain because this is really the, the bottleneck and in, in Bitcoin and in general and basically every blockchain system. Uh, every uh, A lot of data needs to be stored on the blockchain, but everybody needs to, needs to download the blockchain and verify it. So this is really the, the bottleneck and this is probably also more little bit more important than even uh, computation time, optimizing for computation time. We really need want to uh, reduce the data that we need to store on the blockchain. Yeah, perhaps another point uh, worth mentioning here is that now often people are confused. How does uh, signature aggregation relate to our work on multi-signatures and threshold signatures and music, etc.? So what's exactly is the difference? And um, the main difference is that the messages being signed in signature aggregation are different, whereas the messages being signed in a multi-signature scheme uh, are not different. So there's only a single message. So back to our example, if Alice and Bob would sign the same check for whatever reason, multi-sig check, then they could produce a multi-signature, a single multi-signature instead of having individual signatures and this single multi-signature would be smaller than the individual signatures. If it's So that would be the application of multi-signatures if there's only a single check. But in our example before, we had two different checks, and these are kind of different messages, and uh, therefore we cannot apply a multi-signature scheme here. What we need is signature aggregation because the signatures from Alice and Bob, they actually sign uh, different messages. Yeah. And so I think this was a common confusion with when people weren't quite understanding what was going on with Taproot and this idea, because they weren't understanding the difference between signature aggregation, just the concept. And then I guess what you're referring to here, which the term now people are using is this idea of cross input signature aggregation, right? 
Right. But, that, but that's kind of another distinction. That's maybe, one maybe specific let, idea, right? Right. Yeah. Maybe let me one uh, again at one point to to what, what Jonas said. Yeah, as as he said, so the difference for for multisig is that everybody kind of signs the the own uh, the the same thing. But going one level up, uh, looking at this from a higher level, what kind of application does this um, relate to? And maybe that that's another useful distinction for multisig. It's usually when when there is a cooperation between the designers right that's that's the reason why they want to sign the same thing because maybe they have a contract some people might call it some a uh, smart contract whatever so they maybe they are in the lightning channel maybe they, they just it's just an account with a uh, that requires multiple signatures to spend to to increase security but but there's some common there's some interaction between those those signers and the, they have a common goal in a sense whereas signet in signature aggregation this is really just a technical optimization in a sense so designers really want to sign their own messages and in an independent way in a sense but just making use of the fact that later we can aggregate maybe some of the data and compresses make it smaller that should we save space on the on the blockchain but on a functional level and what they sign and how they behave and and uh, yeah what they do is basically totally independent there's yeah. no interaction between designers on a on a functionality level in a sense yeah and perhaps if you could explain for listeners what's the difference then between an a non-interactive protocol and an interactive protocol and what are some of the i guess the trade-offs of those two ideas so um right now i think um the two signature schemes that we are looking at and that are known at this point is half what we call half aggregation and what we call full aggregation and uh these schemes has have kind of different features so if we look at half aggregation first half aggregation is produces a an aggregate signature that is half as large as the sum of the individual signatures. So in a, a BIP340 Schnorr signature is 64 bytes and a half aggregate signature of a bunch of BIP340 signatures is not 64 byte, but it's um, like if there are n signatures, it's basically n times 32 or n times 64 divided by two. So that is the size of the aggregate signature. And what is also appealing about this scheme is that this whole process is non-interactive, which means that in order to produce an aggregate signature, there needs to be no coordination between the aggregator or the signers or the verifiers. Instead, aggregation really is a pure function of the um, individual signatures. So you have a function that takes the individual Schnorr signatures and outputs a, a half aggregate signature. By the way, this, this again shows how there is no relationship uh, or business relationship between the signers, right? Here, what, what Jonas describes is that each signer outputs a signature as they do normally, and then everybody can can get those two signatures and aggregate them, and they don't even need to talk to the, to the signers, and they don't even need to be aware of that happening. So it's really a process then, or a function that everybody can compute. Just take the two two signatures from the signers, totally may not be aware that this is happening, and then compress them into a single aggregate signature. Yeah. So I presume then we would say that has some advantage or benefit in that we don't have to deal, well, on the internet, there could be malicious actors or people who are maybe honest, but not doing it correctly. And, and there may be situations where somebody is DOSing somebody else. And so 
I guess that's one of the benefits there in this non-interactive case, because then you don't have to try to interact with people. And now that means you don't have to deal with getting DOS or some kind of malicious yeah. party. It's, I guess, from that point of view, it's better. It's, um, or go, going a step back, it's just simpler on, on every level, I, I would say, because it's just a, a single operation that you can run on your own, own machine um, without... Of course, you, you need to receive the signatures from somewhere, right? So, but when when we say it's non-interactive, we mean uh, you, the other parties don't need to be online at the same time. The signers are already gone. You you get the signatures from somewhere, and then you can just run this run this process. And because you you don't need to talk to other people and have a, have a network connection to to other people, um, this makes um, things so much easier on on every level of of engineering, also security. What you mentioned, if you don't have a network connection, you can't be nobody can run a DOS attack on that network connection for example right but yeah it's, it's really just from an engineering point of view so much easier um, another point is when you uh, have connections in particular to to multiple people usually you you need some kind of meeting point I mean, for, for example um, imagine a group chat uh, you, you need some server right, where that uh, chat takes place right because we all need to be connected to the to the same central point in a, in a sense we could also have uh, peer-to-peer connections to each other but it's even more complicated so we usually want to have some kind of untrusted point in the middle that we all connect to just to simplify uh, the, establishing the, the connections and then we need to agree on a point where to meet in a sense and if we well, if you don't need that interaction in the first place, we also get rid of that problem. We, we don't need a place where we where we can meet. So could you also now spell out the difference for us with half aggregation and what you were calling what we're calling full aggregation? Yeah, sorry, so let's go ahead. No, I talked a lot about non-interactivity, but let's talk about <laughs> the interactive yep. thing. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So the interactive thing is um, full aggregation, and we call this full aggregation because the output of this aggregation scheme is actually a signature that is as large as a BIP340 Schnorr signature, so 64-byte, independent of how many uh, signers there are, how many messages there are. So that sounds quite attractive compared to half aggregation, but it has trade-offs. And the exact kind of trade-offs are not really known. We're, We're speculating at this point because this is still an active area of research but um, I think so far what it seems this scheme seems to be in terms of interactivity and like number of rounds and uh, things like that it seems to be very similar to music too and um, this means um, so that for example it requires two rounds to produce a signature so that is so I think we were here uh, almost two years ago and uh, talked about music too and all the the different aspects of that and what it means to have uh, multiple rounds and for full aggregation at least as far as we know we would have uh, similar properties so there's like a three round scheme which would be full aggregation one and then we could use the similar techniques as we used in music two to get rid of um, one round and we only have two rounds but uh, we also have this problem that uh, we discussed earlier that um, for example the the signers need to be online they need to keep their secret keys somehow they need to maintain state uh, securely that shouldn't be able to be subject to a replay attack or even modification by an attacker so from an engineering perspective uh, it's quite a bit more complicated but what we get in the end is then a much uh, smaller 
signature than if we would apply half aggregation. And maybe if you if you say uh, rounds that it has two rounds, what we really mean here is two rounds of interaction, right? We talked about the interaction. So one round of interaction basically is um, every every of the signers sending a message to, to everybody else, and then they kind of process the message, and then they see they need to send another message to everybody. So this is the second round. So when when you, when you say round, we really mean yeah. and that would significantly communication things. round or round of, of interaction. Yeah. yeah, and so let's try to talk about some of the practical ideas of how this would work because as I've seen in some of your blog posts and some of your videos, I was looking, it seems that there's two main ideas. One is this idea of block-wide signature aggregation. And then the other one is the L2 gossip protocols. Like, so for example, in the Lightning Network, mm -hmm. the nodes gossip around some information to each other. So could we just talk a little bit about some of those applications, maybe starting with the this idea of the block-wide signature aggregation and let's try to put that into context for listeners who are thinking oh what does that what does that mean for me so could you just explain a little bit about those applications maybe i can can try the block word aggregation and Jonas can sure yeah can talk about lightning because he knows better <laughs> um so yeah so so far we just basically explained what what the basic primitive is right what what signature aggregation on a technical level can do but not what we uh, not not a, we haven't talked about the applications how how can we make use of that in our real protocols and yeah one kind of maybe or maybe the, the most obvious thing is that something i already hinted at is we could save space on the, in the blockchain and the idea is that for half aggregation because it's really a non-interactive process and everybody could do it the idea is that when you when you sign a transaction you will still broadcast it to the peer-to-peer -peer network so it would uh, would be flooded around in the network and gossiped uh, among all nodes and, and at some point the signer will Sorry, uh, um, Miner, of course, will learn all of these transactions and wants to put them in a block. And now we could assign the miner the task to aggregate those signatures before putting them into a block. So the miner would collect all of the signatures he would want to put in a block. And the miner would also be incentivized to, to aggregate them because this means uh, they need less space in the block so he can fit more transactions in the block which which means more transaction fees for for the miner so uh the miner could be given the opportunity or maybe even could be required to aggregate the signatures depending on how we would implement this and yeah so this would just mean that in the block all uh, schnorr signatures because we can't do this for ecdsa but just for schnorr signatures all schnorr signatures in the block would be half aggregated and this saves a lot of space in the block so we can just fit in more transactions in the in the block and what, what i just explained is just a just a basic idea and this has a bunch of open questions uh in terms of how would we engineer that would this maybe uh disable uh, certain features that we also want to have and so on but this is basically the the, the simple idea so miners would take all the transactions instead of putting them in the block just as they are aggregate them before uh, adding them to the block yeah. And just for listeners who are thinking, okay, so the idea would be all the people in Bitcoin are transacting and whatever, 2000 transactions in the block, or maybe 3000, something in that range. And then miners, before they put that block out and that block is confirmed, they're taking all the signatures and then they're doing this, you know, mathematical cryptographic op operation to right. do the half aggregation, as we said, in a non-interactive way. Because if I'm the miner, I don't necessarily, I can't contact every person who transacted. I'm just doing my non-interactive protocol to half aggregate in this example. And that is giving us, uh, is that giving us kind of like a 15%, like 20% saving? Like, do you know 
like if if you were just kind of giving a ballpark like on the assumption that everybody in that block is doing you know if we were doing half aggregation what kind of numbers what kind of saving are we talking about here well Jonas has a nice table i think you can yeah, answer I this i think um we need to distinguish then between two things uh one thing is the size of in terms of bytes that your transaction takes in a block and also the weight of the transaction which is this concept that was introduced um, by um, segregated witness the weight is different in terms uh, compared to bytes because the signature the witness data of a transaction has um, less weight than all the other parts of the transaction which means that the signature is already discounted in terms of how much you need to pay for it because the transaction fees depend on the weight and not the actual bytes that uh, a transaction takes in, in the block. So if we look how much this could save in terms of bytes for an average transaction, it's I think uh, on the order of uh, like 20%. And in terms of weight, it's more on the order of 10%. So you might pay 10% less if your transaction is able to uh, be half aggregated for an average transaction. For some other transactions, you may have uh, different numbers here. Yeah, right. And so I'm curious then, if, as an example, a transaction has many inputs, then is the saving bigger in that case? Or it doesn't matter? If it has many inputs, the saving is uh, bigger, right? Yeah. So as an example, for those people who are thinking about CoinJoin and things like that, presumably then that might help increase the saving a little bit, uh, at least relative to current state, that they may get a bit of a bit slightly larger saving than even that 10 or 20%, depending on if we're counting by weight, transaction weight or bytes. Mm, yeah. In, in that sense, if, if, if you're talking about half aggregation, maybe... So you, of course you can take the perspective of a of a single signer that that wants to transact and makes a transaction that has multiple inputs. But uh, when when we talk about um, this blockwide aggregation, maybe that's kind of the the wrong perspective in a sense because the the, um, the person who sends the transaction wouldn't decide whether half aggregation takes place and then. Right, it would be the would be the miner in the end that just aggregates them. So the numbers are kind of right. You save ten percent per per or ten percent of weight units in in a sense per per transaction. But it's kind of difficult to say that there's more incentive to do this for transaction with uh with with more inputs because it it wouldn't be the the guy who sends the transaction it would be the miner that just decides to aggregate everything. So I see. But I, I guess yeah. I mean you're right. Yeah. I guess uh, I was just talking on the on the assumption right that. You know, we get more adoption, and I think that's maybe the same way people talk about even with SegWit adoption, or um, maybe even outside the Bitcoin world, right? Yeah. Right. I mean, that's a point I actually missed now. So um, you're you're perfectly right. So um, again, when when we talk about this, the uh, aggregation schemes we're talking about only apply to Schnorr signatures. So in that sense, you're perfectly right. So this would uh, be an incentive for everybody to um, switch to Taproot outputs and and Schnorr outputs and so on. Because then when they transact, they would need less data and maybe pay less fees. Yeah. Right. And then yeah. even in that case where, I mean, this is like the same kind of argument, like when SegWit was just being adopted or now with Taproot just being adopted uh, at the start, there's not that many people using Taproot, but uh, hopefully right. over time, 
Yeah. Everyone moves over to using the new better stuff. But yeah. I mean, that's hypothetical, right? And then even in that world, so as like hypothetically, if we're talking in a, let's say we're doing half aggregation signatures and we're talking about block-wide miners, it also would be a question of how many people would use the taproot and use the half aggregation and the miners in this case, because maybe there would be some people who are just operating on the old ECDSA, you know, non, you know, just using legacy or just SegWit without taproot transactions, right? Right. Yeah. So in, in that sense, um, half, if we if we would add half aggregation, blockwide half aggregation, just hypothetically, it would be another incentive to to use uh, taproot and Schnorr signatures, which I think is a good thing. But of course, yeah, we also don't want to force anybody to, to switch to the new thing, right? I think. The... Of course, yeah. And to be clear, I guess what we're saying, what we're talking about here, that would be a soft fork, right? I think yes. Um, I think Jonas uh, knows yep. more also about the trade-offs. Yep. So I mean, this is there's no like a complete proposal for how to do this, like in a BIP or some a Bitcoin improvement proposal or something like that. So there's a lot of uh, speculation still, but uh, the idea is, of course, to, to make a, a soft fork. Otherwise, it wouldn't be as attractive as it is if it which required a hard fork. Back to the show in a moment. Have you taken your Bitcoin off the exchange or custodians? Unchained Capital can help you with this, even if you've never held your Bitcoin private keys before. And the cool thing with Unchained is they can help you remove single points of failure. And they really take it seriously. They use multi-signature, meaning you don't have to trust any one piece with the entire security setup. So with Unchained, you can use the concierge onboarding program. They'll ship you the hardware. They'll do a video call with you to teach you how to do this and walk you through the process of withdrawing your coins into an address to which you control the private keys. And they've also got some ongoing support and you will find that this is a really smooth experience. So if you've got a serious amount of coin on a custodian, don't delay. Go to unchained.com slash concierge and use the code Levera for a discount. Coinkite.com are my favorite in the world of Bitcoin hardware security. So if you need some Bitcoin security devices like the cold card or some of the lower cost devices like the tap signer or even the open dime, you can get all of this over at coinkite.com. This is a great place to go for all kinds of gear, whether you are looking for metal seed backup products like the seed plate and you can get the hole punch to punch in the 24 seed words and obviously keep that in the mountain or somewhere safe. Don't forget to back up your coins and use a metal seed backup. So over at CoinKite, you can get a range of products there, the cold card, the open dime, the metal seed backups, or even the block clock. So go to coinkite.com and use the code Levera to get your gear. And now back to the show with Jonas and Tim. Yeah. And I think um, you've mentioned as well that there is one downside potentially around, uh, did you say it was around adapter signatures and potentially that that might be being used for things like submarine swaps or this kind of, maybe even today with people trying to do lightning um, in the atomic off and off chain swapping, would that be potentially impacted in this case? Right. So there is a relation to, to adapter signatures. So adapter signatures is a uh, another cryptographic uh technique that uh, is, is kind of very interesting to, to use in Bitcoin. That's now possible um, with, uh, with no signatures. It was also possible with ECDSA signatures. Some people use this and it's uh, really, it, it's uh, safe space again and um, increases privacy for, for some particular kinds of contracts. For example, 
you, you mentioned submarine swaps. So, so typical, typically it's applicable to all kinds of swaps because it's uh, the basic pattern is that uh, one party makes a transaction and and then the party is forced to reveal some data. Then then and this kind of data enables another party to do a transaction. This really looks like a swap. So if if I take the money from you, uh, then I have to reveal the data that allows you to take the money from me, and then we get a swap. So this is the very high level idea of of adaptive signatures and and. Now I mentioned that um, adaptive signatures uh, have this aspect of revealing data. So when when I do a transaction, uh, I need to reveal a particular piece of data, and I reveal that piece of data in the in the signature. And now um, this is exactly the point where it gets complicated with half aggregation, because now if we if we take that signature and half aggregate it with a lot of other signatures, we might just destroy that particular piece of information that that the, the counterparty needs to to complete the swap. I see. So our current thinking is that maybe it can still be done if we restrict um, half aggregation to only taproot outputs, so really the, the top level um what keyspans keyspans right um some people might might know what what this is um some people may not but in the end the idea is is just that you restrict it uh, you 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 can't half aggregate every signature on the blockchain but only uh, some signatures on the blockchain and then if you really need to rely on this adaptive signature idea you could make sure that your signature can't be aggregated and this would uh would usually solve the problem um at least it's, this is what we hope but we we, we need to look into this or there's more research necessary. And this is especially the case because for generally for adapter signature protocols, in the cooperative case, the adapter signature isn't even used. So if both parties are cooperative, they can still do taproot key spins um, or whatever. But only if there is some dispute, they would need uh, to opt out of this uh, half aggregation mechanism and use this adapter signature so it's not really uh when, when when i said we have some places on the blockchain where you can't aggregate and some where you can aggregate it, it looks like we're we're giving up on some of the savings but we're mostly not so as long as both parties in the swap or whatever smart contract you have still uh, cooperate and agree on what they want to do they can still have get all the optimizations and only if one party is maybe malicious or goes offline and then we really need to perform more work then we would run into a case where we uh, where we can't do half aggregation but maybe that's really the rare uh, exception yeah but uh, uh, to be honest if that is actually the case for any adapter signature protocol that you could think of i think that is still an, an open question right yeah that's what I meant. So we, we we looked at some cases, some some basic swaps, and it seems to work out for this. But um, it's hard to um, hard to generalize this to every protocol you could think of. I mean, I guess there is always a trade-off. One one problematic thing here is that we don't really know what people use at the moment, right? Because we can't see this these these adaptive signatures on the blockchain because they look like normal signatures. So uh, we are aware of some people using this, but maybe there there's some uh, secret group of people um, somewhere in the world who uses this for very fancy stuff and they, they talk to, to to nobody about it and then we would maybe destroy their, their functionality. You're going to destroy their yeah. use case or their business model um, or something. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> yeah, right. I guess we should at least talk about what are the key benefits. So in your view, what do you see as the key benefits of using half aggregation what's the main benefit yeah i mean the, the main benefit is really you you save space and saving space on the blockchain means you can fit more transactions in the block and this gives you layer one scalability it, it's not much but 
it, as as always, we improve a little bit on layer one. It's not much, but it, it's the it's the lowest layer that we should really try to. I think we should squeeze out every every bit out of out of layer one. Anything to add from your point of view, Jonas? Or you basically agree there? Um, I I fully agree there. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so. Yeah, I think it seems, yeah, like you're saying, it mostly helps around scalability. Uh, it might potentially help a little bit around privacy. Maybe it's a bit, that's also a bit of an open question as well, depending on how things happen. And we should also talk a little bit about the other application mm. that we mentioned as well, the L2 gossip protocol. So Jonas, do you want to tell us how half aggregation could help there? Yeah, so generally, uh, in terms of application in the Bitcoin space, you can make a distinction between uh, applications that affect the consensus layer. We talked about block-wide uh, aggregation, but there are other things, cross-input aggregation that only affect transaction or just uh, aggregation within a script opcode, whatever. But there's also applications outside of the consensus layer that affect, um, let's say, uh, layer twos. And one example of this is the Lightning Gossip Network. And um, in the Lightning Gossip Network, to be a participant, you um, need to open a channel. And if it's a public channel, then you send out a channel announcement message. And this channel announcement uh, contains signatures. And um, right now, these are ECDSA signatures, whatever, but it could be upgraded to be Schnorr signatures. And then... um, in this network that generally gossips these uh, channel announcements around, uh, there could be nodes that collect channel announcements and their signatures, of course, and then put them in a batch, compress uh, the signatures using half aggregation and send out the batch to the next party. Because right now what happens will be you receive a bunch of channel announcements and then you just send them out. With this, If we would be able to apply half aggregation there, then uh, nodes in the network could just take um, channel announcement messages, compress the signatures, and then be able to send out a batch that is smaller than the individual uh, channel announcements. And um, channel announcements are, compared to the other data that is uh, sent around, uh, quite large. And signature data within the channel announcements are pretty large as well. So you could you could get, I think, uh, relatively significant savings here by applying these techniques. But uh, to be honest, I don't know how much this would affect user experience, but it would certainly affect the efficiency of uh, of this network. And here again, we're making use of the fact that half aggregation is non-interactive. So the nodes on the network can just do the aggregation without needing any cooperation from anyone else. Interesting. And so hypothetically, if people in Lightning are already used to interactivity, is that like something that maybe means maybe even full aggregation is like a better or even more saving in that case. Okay, that's that's an interesting question, but um, I think in terms of engineering complexity, that would be pretty hard because um, now uh, if you have multiple nodes that want to open a channel, they somehow need to cooperate to create these channels and uh, then create a single signature for all their channel announcement. Um, messages. I mean, it's not impossible, but um, then you need to wait for your channel announcements uh, before other people are there that want to sign sign a message with you. So um, I think it's possible, but uh, not sure if that is uh, applicable in, in this case. 
it looks a little bit like a chicken and egg problem, right? Because it, uh, you're trying to optimize the process of opening a channel, which is basically the process of, yeah, of, of starting interaction. So at this point, we don't have interaction yet. So um, if, if we need in the, if we need more interaction to to create interaction, maybe that's that's not the best approach. But I haven't deeply thought about it. I see. Yeah, because I I could imagine like let's say you know we're all running our lightning nodes and I you know I get your pub your node pub key and then my node connects to yours on the lightning you know peer to peer layer and then we're maybe we're exchanging some information maybe that is an example where I don't know people are talking about ideas like batch channel opening as well in lightning so that might be kind of an interesting idea like let's yep. say let's say I want to open a channel with both you Jonas and with you Tim and uh, you know, maybe even another two or three people and, you know, my node talks to all of your nodes and we sort of collectively or collaboratively make this batch open. Maybe that's kind of an idea to get a big saving by, you know, one transaction opening five channels in an interactive way. So I, maybe that's kind of like a, a future direction that um, Lightning Network yep. may go. And that's just one example, right? We're just talking about Lightning. Maybe other protocols may find applications and uses there also yep exactly so if you already do batch opens then you already require some kind of cooperation between uh, the nodes so in that case i think something like full aggregation uh, at least uh, seems like an area to explore yeah and so just to talk about the difference then in cost saving between half aggregation and full aggregation so if you could just spell out for us like just how much that cost saving is, because it sounds to me like from what you're saying, like if we're talking 64N versus like, does that, does that mean everything down is just one signature for the whole, like no matter how many you know people? Yeah, correct. No matter how many people, that's correct. But um, of course, you cannot do full aggregation for a whole block, or at least it would change Bitcoin in quite a significant way because then all the signers that produce, that spend coins or UTXO in a block need to cooperate to create this single uh, block-wide full aggregated signature. And that seems to change uh, the model of our Bitcoin quite a bit. Therefore, this full aggregation scheme is mostly proposed to do cross-input aggregation within a transaction because uh, users who create a transaction are, user, are either just a single entity that perhaps controls multiple wallets or whatever, or they're doing a coin join with other parties. But in either case, there's already interactivity to create a transaction because you first need to agree on the transaction, then you need to sign the transaction. So you could also add this process of um, full aggregation to this. And then you would only have a 64 byte, in the best case, a 64 byte signature for a whole transaction. Now, for a typical transaction, not a coin join transaction, how much does this save? This saves a bit more than half aggregation. So in terms of bytes, this would save 25%. And in terms of uh, uh, weight units, since it's only about a single transaction, it, it saves 10%. Interesting. And so just to clarify one idea, could we someday live in, like, imagine further, like there's been further research and we have established protocols and ideas around how half ag aggregation works and how full aggregation works. Could we actually live in a world where, hypothetically, there might be a Bitcoin block with, and it's just got a combination. It's got like some old school ECDSA stuff. It's got some stuff that's half aggregated and some transactions that are full aggregated. Is that theoretically possible? 
Yeah, I think this would be possible. It still would require even even more research, I think, because so far we we are, for example, for half aggregation, we are sure that we can do it with uh, with real Schnorr signatures. You can take ordinary Schnorr signatures and half aggregate them. Um, I think we so far, correct me if I'm wrong, Jonas, we haven't looked at at taking uh, Schnorr signatures together with fully aggregated signatures and then again half aggregating them. This mm-hmm. what you just mentioned, but I, if you ask me, um, this should be should be possible. Of course, this requires research, but I, I don't see a fundamental reason why why this this shouldn't be possible. And the the world you you imagine here, I think this is really attractive because then um, you, you could say whenever you uh, um, for what Jonas mentioned, whenever there's already cooperation between designers, because they because there is a transaction with multiple inputs, so we, we talked about cross-input signature aggregation, right? So w- what does it actually mean? So we have a transaction with multiple inputs, and the multiple um, inputs just maybe come from the from the same signer. This is this is very simple because then in the end there is no real interaction at all, right? Because the sign it's easy for the signer to talk to to themselves in, in a sense, or they come for, or they they are indeed different. Um, entities uh, that control the different inputs, but they already have some way of doing cooperation, right? Because they in, they anyway want to do the single transaction with multiple inputs. Maybe that's a coin join, maybe that's a it's another smart contract, a lightning channel, um, something like this. So if we already have this this need for cooperation and um, this need for interaction, then we could just use full aggregation. And this would save on a transaction level. And then um, for all other cases where we, uh, where we don't have this interaction, the, the miner could do... Uh, the rest uh, of the aggregation using half aggregation and, and a safe even more there. Yeah, that's really fascinating because when we're talking and thinking about how it might look if more and more people were to want to use Bitcoin non-custodially, which obviously is, is the more self-sovereign form, part of that is like how, how does everyone have their own lightning channel? Because right now we know the number today right now in terms of how many UTXOs exist is something around 84 million. So we know that's kind of like an upper bound of how many people are actually self-custodying. Now, yes, there's certain caveats. Of course, we know one Coinbase UTXO probably has like millions of users behind it or whatever, uh, or there may be cases like that. But if we want more and more people to be able to use Lightning, then having some way of batch opening and batch transacting helps. And it's not just a matter of opening the channels. It's about people being able to maintain things like they might need to, you know, the channels might get exhausted or extinguished. So they have to kind of refill it in some way. And so some of these techniques may be useful. Maybe if, if even if it's not being used directly by the user, it could be being used by, let's say, the lightning service provider, the swap provider, the, you know, the channel partner. There may be people doing these aggregations to save some space and get more efficiency. Exactly. And especially in a high fee environment, I think there would be quite a lot of uh, pressure from users of, of wallets to implement these things. Because if you have the choice between a wallet that is 10% cheaper than another wallet, I think that speaks for the wallet where you get the 10% uh, savings quite a bit. Yeah. And I guess the other question well maybe uh, i'm not sure how much um, you're probably collaborating with um, some of the lightning protocol developers Uh, are they also looking at music 2 and things like this that's i mean that's what i've seen uh yeah so music 2 um again a bit uh, different topic uh also in a very different stage of development i would say because uh, research is done kind of i mean they're always like uh, related problems, problems related to, to music that still need to be solved. But uh, we've been working on a Bitcoin improvement proposal for 
quite a while now that um, is slowly getting into the stage where it becomes stable and um, people have been implementing this and playing around with it. Some use it on product in production already and uh, the Lightning people are interested in standardizing new ways to open channels to um, to open channels in a way where music is used and this is something that is happening uh, right now but um, besides that standardization efforts there've also been um, lightning developers who have uh, implemented music too and i think um, try to um, also um, provide this to to their users as uh, hidden behind kind of an uh, experimental flag. Gotcha. Yeah. So yeah, I just added, I was asking kind of out of curiosity, but yeah, so back to the half aggregation stuff. So what's the current state of where this is at and like what's needed for half aggregation um, to proceed? So I think in, in, at the moment we are pretty early in this. So it's basically done from a, from a research point of view and, um, so there, there, there's a paper, not, not, not by us, but by, by great people who, who proved that to be uh, secure in a mathematical sense. So um, we're pretty convinced that this is a thing we, we could safely do. Just to be clear, Tim's talking about half aggregation right now. Right, about half, about half aggregation. Yeah, for full aggregation, we, we, as Yuna said, we still need more more research work even. For half aggregation, um, now uh, Yuna's uh, authored a Bitcoin Impove improvement proposal draft that contains the basic uh, scheme, the basic algorithm uh, for um, for people to look at. Um, so far, we haven't received uh, a lot of feedback on this, as far as I know. Um, and I think this is in, in terms of in terms of um, applications, this, this really just specifies the, the aggregation algorithm, but it doesn't even talk about it. Maybe it talks about the possible applications, but at the moment, it doesn't propose this to it doesn't propose any any concrete application in the sense that it pr would propose a soft fork or it would propose to add this to, to Lightning. It's really just a specification for the, um, for the aggregation scheme itself, for the, for the cryptographic thing. And then, um, so in, in sense of, if you're talking about um, block-wide aggregation, we're, we're in, a, in a super early stage in a sense, because there is not even a concrete proposal for, for this. Yeah. And the, the reason to produce this uh, half aggregation BIP uh, was also just, collect all the information that we have at this point about half aggregation, how does it work in detail so people can play around with it and also as a starting point for discussion how to actually do uh, block-wide aggregation because if you don't have the cryptographic scheme standardized uh, or specified, it's really hard to know to actually have a common understanding of what, what you're yeah. actually talking about. Not even how we want to do this, or even if, if we want to do this at all, right? I mean, there are also drawbacks. I think it's it's a uh, we, we should pursue this. So um, I, I believe in hack recognition, but for example, one one drawback besides the um, adapter signature thing that we already talked about is that while it, it saves space, um, the the um, computation time needed to to verify a half aggregated signature is. Um, Basically, as expensive as um, as verifying all the individual signatures. So yeah, now you could say, okay, that's actually not bad, right? It's we, we're not making it worse, but in a sense, you could argue we, we're making it worse because now 
uh, if we manage to fit more transactions and more signatures into a single block, and each of these signatures needs as much as time to process as, as before, then the overall amount of computation time that verifiers need to uh, need to spend to, to verify the validity of a block now increases. And this is usually something that we want to avoid because uh, we want to keep the verification cost low to, to be yeah to be able to, to, to make sure that everybody can can run a, a cheap node, which in turn increases decentralization and so on. So this is for example one trade-off that the community needs to needs to talk about and, and think about. Yeah, okay. So as I'm summarizing then you're saying it may raise the cost to run a Bitcoin node, but it may not be beyond, let's say, an average, let's say, Western world person with a normal computer. They, it wouldn't be beyond that. We're just talking about like a... Uh, and what we're talking about, to be clear here, is the ability to to sync that node like from start. Even though, I mean, as I understand, we, we like the default in most Bitcoin core is assume valid. So it's only up to a certain point um, onwards that it actually verifies all the signatures that your Bitcoin node is doing that. Uh, and then also the ongoing cost, I guess, of every as new every new block comes in, now your your node has to crunch through and do extra validation that it was not previously doing. But the benefit is we're getting more transactions for less. So there's a you know it's kind of a trade-off. Yeah. Right. Yep. So I I don't have the numbers. You would need to, to to run the numbers, but I don't think it's a big increase of, of computation time or it's it's something that it's really an, an obstacle. But it isn't increased, so and there are always trade-offs. So, so we need to talk about. In the end, if, if you if, if you ask me now, my feeling is that it, it's worth uh, it's worth to do it because we we get all the, the savings in terms of uh, space, even though we pay a little bit more of, of verification costs. Then, yeah, and then I think and it it's, makes that, sense. it's that other one around exploring um, what's the cost around adapter signature use cases, and if there's the secret adapter signature use case out there that we don't know about. And that person or group of people losing their use case somehow. Yeah, that's that is. I think that's another point. And then there are like questions on like general soft fork mechanics, of course. And we probably don't want to get into, but uh, it would. It's generally hard to find a consensus on these proposals and and soft fork proposals, as we know. So that's uh, something to consider as well. So. I don't think at this point that it's for certain that this will land in Bitcoin, for example. And also, it even if uh, if there's um, agreement in the community that we that we want to have this, it's also a question of priorities. Right? Doing doing soft forks is complicated. It takes time, and maybe there are other features that uh, people want to see first before they consider half aggregation, yeah. and maybe this p would push it even uh, f further down the road. Yeah. But this is, I think, as, as I view it, this is. Like we've been mostly talking about block-wide half aggregation right now, but there are different applications of half aggregations also in consensus. So for example, as I mentioned briefly, there could be opcodes like Bitcoin script opcodes that take multiple signatures. And here you could also apply half aggregation and now just within that single opcode. And this would reduce the complexity and how to think about it uh, quite a bit because now you only have to think about uh, the single execution of this opcode. So, um, so for example, one opcode um, that was proposed is called op-evict and it's used, I, I don't know much about it, but it's used in payment pools uh, to, I think, throw out users if they misbehave or something like that and here you would ha actually have 
multiple signatures so you could have aggregate them and just save space uh, by by doing that. Of course, the savings won't be as great as with block-wide aggregation, but there are some savings to be had in a much more uh, constrained environment. I see. So it could apply in some of these other ideas for scaling and things. And maybe, I guess, the people interested in privacy might see some benefit in this also. So maybe the privacy people might be more, people who are focused on that, they might see some reason to push for this change as opposed to other ones. So yeah, I suppose th those are probably the main ones. And it, yeah, so basically, it's just kind of scalability and, and maybe some privacy benefit are kind of the main aspects. Yeah, just to, just to give some some numbers, for example, now back to cross input signature aggregation just within a transaction. So if you would have a single fully aggregated signature in a transaction, and you create an infinitely large coin join, or like just a large coin join, I mean, it approaches that number, uh, then you would save 40% um, in terms of bytes, bytes and 15% in terms of weight units compared to doing a regular transaction. So I think that's, it is significant, I would say. Yeah. And when you say regular, we're talking, we're talking there about regular SegWit, like a, just a standard SegWit spend or? Yes, a standard SegWit transaction to to a sing with like two outputs, uh, one to the merchant or whatever, and one uh, change, change output, output back to you. and with yeah. 2.3 uh, inputs on average. Yeah. And Tim? Yeah, this is an interesting thing maybe to, to point out. This is only true for, for full aggregation, but in a sense that full aggregation would incentivize you to, to do coin joins, right? Because now you can uh, save transaction fees again because if you if you while running the coin join you anyway need some some inter some interaction you would then also do the full signature aggregation and then the, the uh, resulting transaction would be more um, compact and in particular if for large coin joins the the effect is then larger you so there would be an incentive to do coin joins which is a pretty nice thing yeah and so it would just depend on which model is used what wallet and how it all works and dealing with i guess the interactivity part of that and so for maybe for some people they would say ah oh, that's too much effort for me but other people might say no actually it's worth it for me i you know I'm, i'll deal with the interactivity aspects of it because i'm getting a saving and maybe there's a bit of privacy involved there too it also gives you a good argument why you do coin joins, right? Because it saves fees. Yeah. Simple as that. Yeah, no malicious purpose required. It, it would raise much less suspicion, I think, to, to do coin joins because there's a good reason to do it. Yeah, and we shouldn't see privacy as a bad thing anyway. So, you know, not really worried about that part. Yeah, no, no, I'm... Yeah. yeah, I'm not saying you are either. But <laughs> not I mean, at all. I mean... we, we should just... You know, yeah. uh, we we you know close the door when we go to the toilet. That doesn't. It's not a bad thing. It's that we uh, you know people use SSL or they use VPNs. They use all kinds of things. Right. Perfectly right. Yeah. I mean, I I had maybe this is an interesting anecdote. I mean, I I did a lot of research on on privacy earlier uh, in in Bitcoin and um, in particular on CoinJoin. And at some point, uh, somebody on Twitter. I mean, I maybe I, I don't want to go into political <laughs> debate now, but I I claimed on Twitter that I think taxes are a good idea. I mean, we we can talk about this, but this is not not a point here. And then somebody asked me, okay, but what what do you think all your privacy technologies will be used for, uh, except tax in, in, uh, evasion? And I said, okay, but I mean people need privacy for various reasons and I don't even know them, right? I mean, there, there are a thousand reasons why, why people want and, and need privacy. And um, yeah, this is, this is really my, my opinion. Yeah, so. yeah. Okay, so 
let's leave listeners with something to chew on or something to think about. What should they be thinking about when they're thinking of half half signature aggregation? Jonas? The more technical uh, listeners could think about adaptive signatures that are <laughs> probably be uh, going to be broken by half aggregation or something like that. Uh, the general, I think, Bitcoin users who listen to this podcast, they have a say in how Bitcoin develops and in what direction Bitcoin develops, whether we should accept certain soft forks or don't. So people should try to stay informed of what is happening in this space and uh, try to compare the different trade-offs, at least um, to a up to a certain level of detail, at least. For the proposals we talked about, they are still pretty far from getting into uh, Bitcoin consensus. So there's no, we couldn't create a table right now that would compare all the difference and, uh, and, the, and the pros and cons. But um, I think that might be something that's going to happen. We, I think we're starting to kind of get a base for discussion. We are doing the research for half aggregation, the specification, such that we get to the application phase and thinking about how to add this to consensus. And I guess at some point we will have proposals and then uh, people should be ready to uh, evaluate them. Yep. And Tim, anything, any final points you want to mention? No, I think this was a very good summary. <laughs> okay, fantastic. Well, uh, listeners, I'll put all the links in the show notes. Make sure you follow Jonas and Tim on Twitter and uh, check out uh, some of the work. Uh, obviously, all the links will be in the show notes. So thanks, guys, for joining me. Cool. Thanks. Bye. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us. <laughs> And just before we finish, I've got a couple notes here from some of the people leaving Boostergrams using Podcasting 2.0 apps, such as Breeze or Fountain. I've got one here from Olive Cow saying, thanks from at Bitcoin Black Sea. I believe they are a project trying to do similar to Bitcoin Beach, but in Turkey. Uh, so thanks for the Boostergram there. I've got a Boostergram from Michael Matulev uh, with the heart on the Ansel Lindner episode. Um, I've also got uh, a Boostergram there from Fanip, good episode on the Alan Farrington. Um, I've also got a Boostergram here from George X. Mackay, best Bitcoin convo in a good while. I'm definitely going to be reconceptualizing my analogies and talking points on the Beauty On episode. So for those of you interested, you can check out the Podcasting 2.0 apps. It's a great way to do things in a lightning native way. So so thanks again for sending those Bitcoin Boostergrams and I will try and read out some of the cool shout outs there so thanks again for the support everyone and if you remember if you want to support the show make sure to leave a review on itunes and share the show out there on social media with your family and friends and finally get the show notes at stefanlevera.com 400 see you in the citadels